Well, hopefully you pulled out your message outline as we continue this morning. Our series of messages called uh, the Countercultural Church. And what we're doing, uh, as we've been in the last four weeks, we're, we're looking at why the true church of God is the most radical, the most transformative, subversive, countercultural movement that has ever existed and, in fact, will ever exist. That the people of God, the church, should be different from the culture and the society in which we live. We should stand out as different. As, as Jesus tells us, we are and we should be salt and light in this world. That we should be in a world in which, and a society in which people are turning away from God. They're turning their back on God. They're turning away from biblical morality. The church, a true church should stand out as different. Now some might question, to be a countercultural church, the most radical movement that has ever existed and will ever exist, isn't that, well, isn't that kind of an aggressive statement? Well, I want to say not really at all. We're simply following the example of our head, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the most countercultural person who ever lived, and he said some amazing countercultural sayings and statements that, well, they're guaranteed to turn your life upside down. In fact, let me just give you a warning notice right at the beginning here. To invite Jesus Christ into your life will totally, totally transform your life if you let him. You don't add Jesus to your life and then carry on as you did before. It isn't kind of Jesus plus and everything else to make my life better. Not at all. No, a true saving and living relationship with the Son of God will totally turn your life upside down and it will change it for the better. Because every one of us, what we really want to do is we want to live a comfortable life but also a bit of an exciting life as well, don't we? But life doesn't work that way. For life to really be exciting, it has to be challenged sometimes. And Jesus, the way in which he taught, the things that he said, his statements challenge our lives. They turn it upside down, if you like. And one of those statements relates to how we should live as followers of Christ, that how we should live as Christians, as part of the counter-cultural church. And Jesus says this, which is, an, an amazing statement, if you think about it. He says, if you want to be great, be humble. Now, that's upside down, isn't it? I mean, if you want to be great, be, be humble. Sorry, Jesus. I, I mean, I think you kind of got that the wrong way around, haven't you? I mean, it sounds totally upside down to us, doesn't it? And it's certainly countercultural. And that is the point. You know, it amazes me how people will queue or they'll wait for hours to meet a celebrity, to kind of get their autograph or to take a selfie with them. Uh, maybe people do this because it makes them feel, um, feel better maybe or feel good to be around so-called winners, you know, the celebrities of our day. But I wonder, how many people would queue or wait for hours to get the autograph or a selfie with the most humble person in Britain? That's not even something we think of, is it? It's not even on our radar, is it? But Jesus says it should be on our radar. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you've got to be humble. And that's countercultural. Now, the truth is, for most of us, we, we don't want to be humble. Maybe we think it's a good idea. We think, yeah, that would be a great character quality. But if we really had a choice, 
well, we want to be, be great. That's what we really want. And if the truth were known, we, we, we want to we be both, don't we? We want to be great, but with a little bit of humbleness thrown in so we don't show off too much. We want to be great and humble at the same time. But you see, life doesn't work that way. And yet so many people choose to be famous, to become a celebrity, to be great in the world's eyes. We have a, a whole culture where people just are desperate to be famous for 15 minutes or so. We are obsessed with celebrity as a society. It's the new God. It's the new idol. We worship fame and celebrity. But Jesus said, his total countercultural teaching is this, the only way to true greatness is through humility. That is countercultural. Now, some people think that humility is denying your desires for greatness, but, but Jesus doesn't talk that way. In fact, Jesus says, look, I know you desire greatness. I understand that. I get that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I just want to take you to translate your desire for greatness into actions of humility and then watch what it does for your life and for the world, for the people that you know, how it changes everyone. This is what Jesus says about humility in Matthew 23, verse 12. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus said this again and again and again, four specific times as he talked. He talked about this decision in our lives to humble ourselves. And Jesus isn't talking about being humiliated. Uh, we've all had circumstances in life that come along and they humiliate us. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about what's done to us by other people. He's talking about a choice, an intentional choice that we make. And the choice to humble yourself as part of everyday life and living. And in this verse, he's talking about the simple everyday choice and test that we have in all, our, all of our lives. The test is this. It, it, exalt yourself or humble yourself. In every conversation, I'm facing that test. Am I going to exalt myself or am I going to humble myself? In every relationship, I'm facing the test. Exalt myself or humble myself. In every decision, I'm facing the test. Am I going to exalt myself, or am I going to humble myself? Jesus says, you see, this is the test of real, true greatness. And there are four specific times, as I said, when Jesus talks about this, where we need to humble ourselves. And I want us to look at these four times that he talked about this, and four ways it makes an impact on our life. The kind of four key areas of our life that Jesus kind of pinpoints. The first one is this, humble people don't need position. Now in Matthew 18, we read about a time when the disciples of Jesus were arguing about which one of them is the greatest, which really is just absolutely humorous, isn't it, when you think about it. Here's the context, you see. Here, here they are, they're arguing about who's the greatest, but here is Jesus, God in human flesh, a few paces ahead of them, and they're following behind going, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, you're not. I'm the greatest and so on. I mean, ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, God is right in front of them. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. But then that's just human nature, isn't it? And Jesus hears this happening and he turns around and he teaches them this incredibly important lesson. He says in Matthew 18 verse 4, Therefore whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Now notice Jesus doesn't say, don't want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, deny your desire for greatness. He says, look, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I understand that. That's how you're wired. Here's how it can happen. You have to humble yourself like this little child. That's how it happens. Jesus didn't say, let humility wipe out all your ambitions. He said, let humility manage your ambitions. If you want to be great, here's how, he says, be like this child. And we all face this daily greatness test of humility, and therefore exalt yourself, be demanding. Be like the disciples, demand your way, demand to be first, demand to be best, demand to be the greatest, exalt yourself, be demanding. Or you can make the choice to humble yourself and be depending. Demanding or depending. That's the choice. And it's a choice that you and I face every day throughout our lives. Now when it comes to being demanding, I mean that's really easy to do, isn't it, if you think about it? It's very easy to do because it looks like it works. In fact, um, in a lot of circumstances of life, it does work to be demanding. So for example... You, you can go into a restaurant and uh, not get the order that you want and you can demand and you can complain and you can demand your order and most of the time the people will rush to your aid and they'll bring you what you ordered, what you wanted. You got what you wanted by being, dem being demanding. We can all do those kinds of things. But here's the problem. You can't demand the most important things in life. You cannot demand a relationship to work. You can't demand yourself to be happy. You can't demand that you're never going to get sick, that you're never going to die. You can't demand the most important things in life. It just doesn't work. There is a different way to live, you see. And Jesus taught his disciples, in order to be great, you need to be humble. And these guys, remember, they were arguing and they were demanding that they be recognised as the greatest amongst the disciples. And Jesus says, guys, come on, cut it out. Look at this little child right here. Be like this child. Now, what do children do? Well, very simply, children depend on their parents, don't they? That's what they do. And the great thing about children is there's none of the angst of whether they should depend on their parents or not. They just do it. They just sort of see you as a friendly ATM most of the time, don't they? And they don't mind doing that. They don't mind asking. They don't think about that. They just say, can I have this? And they depend upon you, the young, certainly the younger they are, because that's what they're wired to do. And God wants you and I to realise, I've wired you, I've made you to depend on me because I am your creator, I am your father. So the secret to greatness is to learn to depend. And if you're not constantly asking God to meet your needs, well, you're obviously depending on yourself and not depending on him. And Jesus says, look, learn to be like this child. Depend on God. Depend on God for absolutely everything in your life. Now, let me clarify this, because depending on God doesn't mean inactivity. Far from it. You know, a lot of people think depending on God means I kind of sit back in my easy chair, uh, kind of lean back and I go, okay, God, whatever, whatever you want to do, do it to me, here I am, and kind of just lay back and let it all happen. That's not depending on God. Actually, that's laziness. It's a very different thing. Look at the people in the Bible. Moses depended on God as he led millions of people out of Egypt into the Promised Land. 
Paul promised he depended on God to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the entire known world of his day. Humility means you don't need position. Instead, you depend on God and focus on his plans and his purposes. Secondly, humble people don't show off. Now, Jesus also taught how humility handles our need to be noticed. We all have a need to be noticed. And Jesus says this in Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant for, and then here's this phrase again. Watch this phrase. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And he keeps saying this. In this case, he's saying it to this crowd of people who are struggling to be noticed, who are struggling to be the ones that everybody sees and says, wow, look, they, they're in this crowd. And in the midst of that crowd, Jesus says that you need to watch out for that kind of stuff. Jesus knows we all like to be noticed. We all do. Let's be really honest about this stuff. That's the way it is in life, isn't it? And not only do you like it, but actually you begin to need it. And everyone struggles with this desire to be noticed, this enjoyment of being noticed. Who doesn't enjoy being noticed once in a while? And it's easy for that to become a bit of a drug. You know, it's no wonder, isn't it, that we are this celebrity culture because we just want to be noticed, people want to be seen. And then you read stories, don't you, these so-called celebrities that had kind of almost the world at their feet and then their careers kind of waned and their star has fallen from the sky and you can't remember them and they just are lost, aren't they? because they just so need to be noticed, to be seen. And it can become a drug. It's easy to get addicted to it. It's easy to need to be noticed every single day of your life, every circumstance of life, in order to feel important. And if you feel that, that is exalting yourself. Jesus says if you exalt yourself, eventually you will be humbled. Now in this case, when he said this phrase, he was talking to a specific group of guys called the Pharisees. Now they were in this crowd. They were trying to be noticed, and Jesus noticed that they were trying to be noticed. And he had some things to say to them. Now, what they were doing, these guys, they were using religion as a cover for getting their need for notice met. And Jesus reserves his harshest words for these guys, not because they're so different from us, but because everybody looked at them as the model. I want to be like them, people thought. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't, don't be like that. Don't want to be like them, because the problem is everything that they do is for people to see. Look, Matthew 23, 5 and 7. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make the phylacteries wide, they love the place of honour at banquets, and they love to have men call them rabbi. And Jesus says everything they do is for men to see, and he then gives some examples of what they did to be noticed. First of all, he says they make their phylacteries wide. Now, A phylactery was this tiny little box that had scripture verses in it which they would wear on their heads. And what they were doing is they were trying to do what the Old Testament says, which is to carry God's word with you throughout the day. So they had this little box with a scripture verse inside of it and just to be mindful, as it were, to hold God's word in their mind. Now, that's what they did. I'm not suggesting you should do that, by the way. But what the Pharisees did is that they would make their box a little bit bigger than the other guy's box. 
So they had more of Bible in their mind than the other guy. So they looked better than the other guy. And then the next guy would make his box a bit bigger than the other guy's box. And so eventually they're kind of almost walking around with a packing box on their head or something like that because they, they were so spiritual, supposedly. Ridiculous, but that's what they did. You know what this is, this phylactery, this need for notice? It's the love of emblems. That's what happens when you need notice. You begin to love emblems. Things that everybody looks at and goes, ooh, they must be really important because they have this emblem. Now, these Pharisees, they were ridiculous. They wore boxes on their head. We're not like that today, are we? I mean, we're much more sophisticated than they are, aren't we? Well, let's just stop and think for a moment. Today, there is a whole industry of high-end designer clothing, isn't there? High-end handbags, high-end products. You have these so-called influencers who walk around with the latest thing on and take their photographs and send it around on all the social media and all that kind of stuff because these are the people that we should be following because they've got the latest designer clothing. Or we must have the latest mobile phone and walk around with it in my hand, parading it so everyone can see I've got the latest mobile. We walk around thinking we wouldn't say it to anybody, but I hope somebody notices that I've got this. Look at me. Look at my world. Or we buy a car with the emblem we've been looking for all of our lives on that car. We're driving around thinking everybody in the world is noting us because we're driving around with this kind of make of car. Now, I don't know if God cares much about what kind of car you drive or the clothes you wear, but what he does care about is this. He cares about why you drive the kind of car you drive or why you buy the clothes that you buy. He does care if you and I get so in love with emblems and that, that we have to have them in order to be noticed, that we get our, our kind of identity and our self-worth by what we wear and what we have and the kind of trophies of so-called success. Jesus says, watch out for that stuff. Because in the end, you're going to be humbled if you go in that direction. And he also says, you notice, he says, they love the place of honour at banquets. That's the love of recognition, actually. If everywhere you go, you have to be recognised, that you have to be kind of up there on the front, at the front table, you have to have people say your name, you have to have recognition that you are there. If everywhere you go, you have to be recognised, there's this need, this desire to be noticed. And Jesus also says they love to have them call them rabbi. They, that is, they, the love of titles. When you start to live for titles, when everyone has to say your title to make you feel important, something is terribly wrong with that. You need notice. You become addicted to being noticed. There's this daily greatness test about this that Jesus talks about. Here's the test. Exalt yourself. That's when you need others to notice. You... You can live life needing others' notice. You need that to find your identity, to find your self-worth, that, that people notice you. Or you can make the humble yourself choice. Exalt yourself, you need others' notice. Humble yourself, notice others' needs. In other words, you start to notice what's going on in other people's lives. You're not so bothered about yourself. You notice other people's needs. And the only way to cure yourself of this need that we all have to be noticed is to start noticing other people's needs. That's the only way. Not live just for yourself. Start looking, start noticing that there are other people who have needs. 
Now that's really countercultural, isn't it, in our society today? Let me ask you, where, where could you do that this next week? Let's take this message into the next week. What could you do? What would your world be like if you just did that this next week? Because a life that is focused on yourself only, meeting only your needs, will never be a great life, Jesus says. Because it's only you. Every great life is focused on meeting other people's needs. And Jesus said that is one of the secrets to greatness and to happiness, incidentally. Thirdly, humble people don't compare. Now, we all have this tendency to compare, don't we? The problem is, when it comes to humility, we equate first with being the greatest. And we're always comparing. We're always looking at this person, that person, and thinking, am I better than them? Now, we probably don't kind of admit that, but every room that you walk into, every conversation that you're in, that's how we tend to live life. And nothing will kill your joy so much as competition and comparison. Jesus saw that in his day where they were doing the same thing. He was, um, he was at this dinner party and he saw how they equated first with the best. He sees this, uh, the, the head table and um, it was kind of set up like this. He was at this sort of uh, this dinner party, this do, uh, and there was a head table set up and it was set up usually in a, in a U shape with a head table up the front and a chair that would be next to the guest of honour. If you wanted to be the greatest at the party, you'd be sitting in this chair. That's where you'd be. Now, as the U went round and went down towards the end, there'd also be a seat, of course. And if you were sitting down there, well, then you were seen as the least in the party, at the party. So people, when they walk in, what do they do? Well, they're milling around there up the front end, aren't they? Well, I'm better than he is, and I'm better than she is, and... I deserve that spot, I think, and, you know, kind of almost playing around with stuff. So they're sitting close to that spot, sort of kind of, I think it's like spiritual musical chairs, if you like. That's how Jesus saw these things happening. So he says to them in Luke 14, verses 10 through 11, when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will will be exalted. There's that phrase again. So here's the test, and it's countercultural. It's upside-down thinking. Jesus said, exalt yourself. That's getting the upper hand, the top spot, the best seat, the seat of honour. Or humble yourself, take the lowest seat, the lowest spot, the lowest place. Now, the amazing thing to me is that Jesus didn't just say, be satisfied with the, the lowest seat. He said, take the lowest seat. Take the lowest place. Not just be satisfied if you kind of get stuck there and say, well, it's okay, I can kind of deal with it for this time only. No, 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 he says, take the lowest place. Now, for me, I'd be more than happy to take the lowest place, to sit in that spot, if I knew that someone was going to come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, no, Phil, you shouldn't be sitting there. <laughs> no, no, come on, come up here and sit in the highest place. I'll be all right with that. Probably all of us will be, if we're honest. But if I take the lowest place and I get stuck there, and I see somebody sitting up there who I think is a lot worse than me, what am I doing down here when, when they're up there? How did that happen? 
But you see, growing in spiritual maturity is being equally comfortable in the lowest spot or the top spot because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who we think is first. Spiritual growth is realising if I get stuck in the lowest spot, God may just want me to be there. Spiritual maturity is also realising that if God happens to put me in the top spot, then that's all right. Maybe there's something he wants me to do in my life there. Equally satisfied wherever God happens to put me. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't live my life concerned about comparing and competing because that will just eat up my life. Greatness is not a matter of winning a competition. Uh, that's what Jesus talked about it. It's a matter of living the life God gave you to live. And each life, your life, is unique. No one else can live your life, that life that God has for you. Jesus is a lot more concerned about how you're helping other people, how you run the race of life, whether, whether you're ahead of other people or not in this race of life. In fact, Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Be humble and consider others more important than yourself. Now again, that is countercultural, isn't it? That's not the way most of us think. Consider other people more important than ourselves. What does that mean in everyday life? Well, I think it means this. Don't waste one more minute of your life worrying about who's first, who's better than you. It's a waste of time. Because in the end, all this competition, it doesn't really matter. Because, because you see, God is always first. And in the end, we're all going to love that because that's the way it's supposed to be. And then fourthly, humble people do trust God. Humility handles our relationship with God. Again, Jesus told another story, also at a dinner party. And he starts out in Luke 18, verse 10, like this. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. It's kind of like, you know, did you hear the one about the two guys who went to the temple to pray? You know, kind of like a, a joke, doesn't it? Uh, he tells this story, but, but it's not a joke, actually. He tells this story about two men, a proud Pharisee and a sinful tax collector. Now, in that day, they hated tax collectors because there was nothing good about them. These guys, not only did they gather taxes, but they ripped people off. They stole money, extra money, to make themselves rich when they gathered taxes. Uh, and they also served the hated Roman government to gather these taxes, Tax collectors were hated. I mean, you know, you, you just absolutely hated them. Now, in that day, the Pharisees were seen as the religious people, the good people, supposedly. So Jesus says, these two guys come in, the Pharisee, yay! The tax collector, boo! And they both pray a prayer. And the Pharisee prays this, God, thank you for all the good things you've given me. Thank you that I'm not like these other guys, especially that tax collector over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for me, me, me. That's how he prayed. And then Jesus says the tax collector prayed. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He bowed his head and he beat his chest and he prayed, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus asked the crowd, he says, which of these guys prayed a prayer that was heard by God? And here was the punchline in verse 14. When the two men went home, it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who was pleasing to God. Because if you put yourself before others, you'll be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honoured. Here's the greatness test when it comes to our relationship with God. When you exalt yourself, that's a decision to do it yourself. 
I'm going to make this relationship with God work on my own energy, in my own strength, in my own good works. In fact, I'll do it myself. In fact, I'll try and save myself. I can do good things so God will love me more, will like me more, will bring good things into my life more if I kind of earn it. That's not right. That's almost, that is exalting yourself. But the decision to humble yourself is a decision to trust God. Do it yourself or trust God. Do it yourself religion is all about what you have to do. And in the end, all you have is what the Pharisee had. Thank you, God, that I'm better than so and so. Thank you, God, for all the great things that I've done. That's all you get. In this prayer, one guy prayed, Look at me, but the other guy prayed, Forgive me. One guy prayed, I have God's blessing. The other guy prayed, I need God's mercy. So let me ask you a question. As you grow in faith, as you get to know God better and better, what should be happening in your life? How should you grow? Well, most of us think we start with how much I need God's mercy and he forgives me. Then I grow and I become more and more aware of his blessing, but, but that's not how it works. If you're going to really grow, as aware as you are of God's blessings, and you should be, you should be overwhelmed daily by God's blessings, but there should also be, always be, this huge part of you that is still saying, I need God's mercy. I need his mercy every single day of my life. There's not a day in my life that I don't need God's forgiveness for sins that I know I have committed, and a bunch of them I'm not even aware of because I'm an imperfect human being, and I need God's mercy. Never, ever get over God's mercy and forgiveness for you in your life. Do you know, the Apostle Paul, he never did. Even at the end of his life, he was still saying, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the greatest sinner that I know. Never get over God's mercy in your life. Jesus says, if you want to be great, be aware of how much God loves you and how much mercy he has for you. Make a decision to trust him. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you at the proper time. That's trust. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility is not putting myself down, it's lifting God up. Humility is being honest about who I am, my strengths and my weaknesses and my failings, and being honest about who God is, his strength, his goodness, and what he can do in my life. That's what humility really is, you see. Our society doesn't need any more arrogant people. It's got plenty. It needs more humble people. So as I finish, I'd like you to write a couple of phrases on the bottom of your outline. How do I become humble? How do we, how do we make this work? I mean, it's a big subject. It's a rest-of-my-life kind of goal. But, but how do I make this work every single day in my life? Well, write down these two phrases. Admit I'm proud and act humbly. That's how it works, and you've got to have both to make it work. The first step is realise I'm proud, I'm prideful. Now, it's easy to admit that in church, isn't it? Because that's a good thing to do in church, isn't it? You know, we're in church, we kind of need to do that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's pretty tough to admit... I'm prideful, say, for example, when um, 
I don't know, I have an argument with my wife, and admitting I'm prideful means that I'm going to actually lose the argument. I don't want to do that. It's a little bit tougher, isn't it? It's pretty tough to admit I'm prideful when God's challenging me to change, make a change in my life, and I don't want to make that change. If I admit I'm prideful, I know I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to do these things. And then it gets a bit tough, doesn't it? Well, I have to admit it. I have to admit I'm prideful. We all have to do these things because we all struggle with this. We have to admit that at times, very often, we are proud. And then act humble. In other words, make the decision to act humbly, even if you don't feel it. Even if it feels upside down, act humble. Just go through each and every day that way. Admit I'm proud and act humble. But let me give you a little warning at this point. Don't try to feel humble. Act humble, but don't try to feel humble. Humility, you see, is not aware of itself. If you're trying to feel humble, you become so aware of yourself, you're not humble anymore. Some of you are like, well, it kind of works that way, all right? See, if you try to feel humble, you start to feel a little bit humble, and then you get proud that you feel a little bit more humble than you did, and then you're not humble anymore, so you kind of lose out. Don't try to feel humble, just act humbly. Just do it as naturally as you can. Be intentional about that and see what God does. So let me ask you this question. What one thing could you do this next week, positive thing, to act humble? Based on what Jesus has encouraged us to do, how could you humble yourself this next week? Or, or let's put it this other way, how could you begin to notice someone else this week? Who is there in your life that you should be noticing and helping? There's an incredible freedom, you see, that comes with humility. Free from the need to be noticed. Freedom from worrying about what seat you're sitting in or not sitting in. Free to trust God and live out his ambition for your life. That's incredible freedom that God wants to give to every single one of us. And when we live out this, this radical humility in a world of celebrity and rights and arrogance, the world sits up and notices. Your friends notice, your family will notice, your work colleagues will notice because you are different. And when we do that collectively together as a church, then our community notices. And then we really are being a counter-cultural church. Let's pray. And our Father, we do want to trust you. And you know us, and you know it's hard for us to be humble. And we get caught up in ourselves so easily. But I pray that these words of Jesus would be an encouragement to us, would be a strength to us, would help us to see that, God, you can do something in our lives we can never do on our own. Lord God, this next week we pray that you'd help us to give our ambitions to you. We pray that you would help us to notice the needs of those around us. We pray that this next week you help us honour you with whatever seat we happen to be sitting in as we trust you day by day. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.